You are listening to episode 155 of This is Type 1. Today we're learning more about type 3C diabetes with Jen M. Jen educates and advocates for rare types of diabetes, which you'll learn about today. Jen, welcome to the show. Hello, Colleen. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Let's jump right in. So tell us who you are and the story of your diagnosis. Yeah, so I am 31 years old. I was diagnosed with diabetes in 2017 when I was 26 years old. I was not diagnosed with diabetes. This is going to sound a little surprising, but I was diagnosed with diabetes when they removed my pancreas from my body. So I did not have diabetes at all ever until I had surgery and they removed my entire pancreas. So that is essentially what type 3C is. It is a diabetes that is related to a pancreas condition, pancreas removal, or some sort of extraneous, like you have an exocrine problem with your pancreas and it is causing diabetes and affecting the endocrine portion of your pancreas. And so if it's pancreas related issues, it is type 3C diabetes. And um, yeah, that's that's the so, uh, the brief story of how it came to be. Like we're all wondering why did you have to have your pancreas removed? Yeah, that would that was going to be my next uh, my next point is um, so I was diagnosed in the very end of 2015, December of 2015. So about a year before my surgery, I was diagnosed with pancreatitis, which pancreatitis is an inflammation of your pancreas. I was having some other health issues, some kidney issues. I was diagnosed with a form of kidney disease. And there was, there was one morning I woke up. I happened to be at my parents' house because it was Chris, it was the day after Christmas. So I was in town visiting my parents. I was living in New Orleans at the time. My family was in Ohio. So I was far from where I lived, but I was with family. So that was, that was nice to be with family during that. But I woke up one morning with like intense abdominal pain, like, undescribable pain. It was so severe and not like a normal stomach ache, not like, oh, you know, maybe this will pass. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse throughout the day. And I was like, something is very, very wrong. So my mom took me to the emergency room and they did a bunch of blood tests and they did like CT scan, maybe an MRI. I don't really remember at that time what they were doing, but they did imaging and blood work and they came in and told me, okay, your pancreas is very inflamed. It's called pancreatitis. We don't know why it's happening, but it could be related to some medications that you're taking for your kidney issues. I ended up actually staying in the hospital at that point for like four weeks, which is a really long time. It was horrible. So I was in the hospital for four weeks. And at that point, they I left the hospital better, but they still didn't know exactly why this was happening to me or why or what was going on. After I left, they were like, oh, it was probably a one-off thing. It'll probably get better. Just kind of hopeful that things would get better. It didn't get better. It got worse. So over the next few months, I was in and out of the hospital every couple of weeks with the same pancreatitis pain, the same blood work issues, the same inflammation. And they were like, okay, we've really got to figure this out. And it turns out that I actually have some genetic mutations that cause the pancreatitis. So different genes can do different wonky things. And I happen to have the cystic fibrosis gene mutation, but I do not have cystic fibrosis, but I have the mutation. So I could pass that on to children 
it like let's just say my husband had cystic fibrosis mutation as well our child would have cystic fibrosis he doesn't we actually we tested to make sure he does not have that gene so we're good on that front but i do have it and it can cause pancreas issues a lot of people with cystic fibrosis have pancreas issues obviously me included and then i also have another gene mutation which they're like okay you have two gene mutations that are both that both can cause pancreatitis this is probably what it is and they determined if, if that was the case it's not going to get better and when it's not going to get better it put you at risk for really severe disease down the line cancer and other things and i was relatively young at the at the time 26 years old compared to most people that deal with these issues a lot of the doctors that i saw were like oh my gosh you're so young i can't believe you're dealing with this i agree i'd never been sick really in my life up until that point now looking back now that i know that i had chronic pancreatitis all along i'm like okay i do remember times that i had episodes throughout my life that were minor but i didn't have, I didn't go to the hospital because I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's something minor. And I had been diagnosed with constipation. They're like, oh, you, you have pain because you're so constipated. I'm like, okay. And then I also got diagnosed with a UTI because your pancreas can radiate pain to your back. So they're like, okay, well, back pain, kidney, UTI, I don't know. So I was misdiagnosed several times throughout my life now knowing what I know. But that's not their fault that they didn't run the proper tests because I, I, I don't hold it against anybody. So they said, we need to take your pancreas out. That is the only thing that is going to help you to move on with your life, have a you know relatively normal life. It was basically trade pancreatitis for diabetes. And with having your pancreas out, it, you have a number of other things going on as well. So I can get more into that. But I kind of wanted to just start with how my diabetes came to be and chronic pancreatitis turned into total pancreatectomy surgery became diabetes. So how prevalent is type type 3C? It's rare. I, I tried to look up some statistics on this because I wasn't exactly sure. I found some that didn't have a, a really great source behind it. So take this with a grain of salt. But from what I read... It could be about one to two percent of diabetics are type 3C. And I think that a lot of, a lot of type 3C is misdiagnosed as type 2 because oh. when you, it kind of has to start, like if it's not, let's say in my case where I had it removed, if it's, cause there's lots of different causes for type 3C. It could be, you could have chronic pancreatitis that turns into diabetes. You could have, cystic fibrosis that turns into diabetes. You could have cancer that turns into diabetes. Like anything that's any disease related to pancreas issues. Like if you have a, like there's a condition that you get tumors on your pancreas and um, that can lead to diabetes. So if it starts with a pancreas issue and then diabetes comes from that, it could be type 3C, but it's not always like immediately type 3C, it's usually doctors jump to type 2 as a, an initial diagnosis because in order to meet the criteria for type 3C, you have to have like an absence of any autoimmune markers because if it's autoimmune, it, it's more like a type 1 or a, or a LADA, situa LADA situation, latent autoimmune. And then you would also need like radiology imaging 
CT scan, ultrasounds, MRI to check for damage to the pancreas. So you have to have some sort of pancreas damage. And then you also need, you don't have to have this, but most people dealing with pancreas issues like this have some sort of exocrine insufficiency where the uh, the enzyme production in your pancreas to digest the food is not working how it should be. So those are kind of the three different criteria that you have to meet. But type one and type two are pretty clear standards for diagnosis. It's there's some there's, you know, you test for the autoimmune markers or, you know, the C peptide levels, things like that. And then when it comes to three C, there's not a standard. There's not like this is this is what you have to meet. I know what has to be met because it's just what it is, but it's it's not a standard across the board and there's no real treatment standard across the board and the misdiagnosis is is pretty prevalent. So I can't exactly say what the the prevalence of type three C is, but it's it's low for overall wow. diabetes. Wow. So for all type three C is it, does it involve the removal of the pancreas at some point? No, it doesn't. No. Have to. So the removal is obviously kind of a last case scenario. If if the pancreas issue is not going to get better. Sometimes there's a partial removal. Sometimes there's a full removal and sometimes it's not removed at all, but it's usually if it's causing a lot of pain, a lot of damage to quality of life, that's when it it can progress to needing a removal, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's a standard in type 3C at all to have the full thing removed. If you talk to, like, let's just say you interviewed 10 type 3C diabetics I would say a good portion of them probably have at least some part of it removed, but I would say that not, not all, definitely not all. So because you have yours completely out. So for our listeners, we talk about this a lot where the, like our pancreas doesn't work because it's not producing insulin, but the pancreas does do other things. Correct. So because yours is completely out, do you have other health problems that you have to deal with? Yes, I do. So the pancreas does two things. It produces insulin and it produces digestive enzymes. I'm very simplifying that to the two, the two things that it does. It's the endocrine, endocrine function and the exocrine function. Endocrine being insulin, glucagon, that sort of regulation. And then exocrine being the enzymes that it produces to digest your food. So when I eat as, as someone without a pancreas, if I eat anything, I have to take insulin with it. And I have to take digestive enzymes, which is a pill. It's a capsule. I have to take, depending on the size of the meal, the amount of fat in the meal, I have to take, you know, between one and four to five capsules per thing that I eat. But anything that I eat, I have to take, take those pills. Wow. And then the other health issues, you know, when you don't have a pancreas, you, can't produce those enzymes because there's nothing to produce them. So you got to take the enzymes and then also vitamin supplementation because you're at risk for malabsorption of nutrients because, you know, when food is going through your system, it's not, it's not going to absorb right. So I am constantly low vitamin D, vitamin B12 and iron. Those are my three that I, I'm, I can never get it above this, the normal, like the lowest level of normal, I can't, I can't reach that threshold. So I have to supplement that with prescription vitamins, but the essential vitamins are A, D, E, and K. So those are, are very strictly monitored to make sure that I am, that I'm absorbing those nutrients. But a lot of people do have issues with absorbing nutrients 
but I'm, I'm lucky that I, I feel like I have made it to a point where I'm, I'm doing okay. After the surgery, it's, it's a very major surgery. So in my case, and in most cases, when they remove your pancreas, they got to take out some things around it. So based on the blood flow, the bile duct flow, digestion, there's, you know, different things flowing different directions. So in order to take out the pancreas, they also have to take out the gallbladder. They have to take out part of your stomach. So like the lower part of your stomach, they have to take out the first portion of the small intestine, which is called the duodenum. And then in some cases, but not all, they have to take out the spleen, which in my case they did. So they took out my pancreas, my spleen, gallbladder, lower stomach, and first part of my small intestine. Wow. So it's a major adjustment to, you kind of got to learn how to eat again. Like everything you put in your body is not going to act like it did the day before you had the surgery. Like when you eat something, you're like, oh, well, let's see what happens if my body hates it or if it's fine. So everything that I ate for maybe the first year, I was taking notes of it. I'm like, okay, this is what happened when I ate this. This is what happened when I ate this. And I'm adjusting to taking insulin. So I need to figure out how how much insulin I'm needing to take for a different food. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, okay, this is how much insulin I need for this food. And this is what happens when I eat it. If it affects if it makes my stomach hurt, if it affects my bathroom issues, you know what I mean? And you're so, like five years into this now. I'm five years into this. Yeah. My um, five year, I still call it a diversary or like a surge anniversary was in February. So I'm a, a little over five years. Wow. But I'm doing good. I um, When you have the surgery, they they tell you, I would say it's pretty standard for a surgeon to tell you that uh, recovery is going to be around three to five years. Like they, 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 they kind of out the gate. They're like, this is going to be a long time. Like you're not going to, and you're never going to be normal again. Like you, whatever you thought was normal before is not going to be normal going forward. So it's going to take three to five years to adjust and find that new normal, which being five years into it, I, I can finally confidently say like, I think I'm there. Like every year when I've hit that, that yearly mark, I'm like, I wonder if this is going to be how it is. I wonder if this is going to be how it is. And it's definitely each year it's different. And then now that I'm five years, I'm like, I think that it's getting to a point where it's consistently like things are kind of the same. And that's like your responses to food responses to insulin, just your body having figured itself out after five years. Mm -hmm. And then there also is the factor of pain because I was cut open from this side of my abdomen, I'm pointing to like the very far side of my abdomen to the other side, like all the way across my stomach. I have a giant scar. Um, some people can get it laparoscopically, but for some reason in my case, they couldn't do it that way. So it's a lot of people have a really big scar. I have a, a small community of people that I've found through Instagram and Facebook and things like that of people that have had this surgery and we've compared scars. And, you know, a lot of us have a pretty similar scar, but some of us, got the minor scar, which is nice for them, but not in my case. But so it's, it's a very, very painful scar because, you know, when they remove all these organs, when everything's, everything heals and it grows back together, if you form scar tissue and 
the body, when it is forming the scar tissue, it's, there's no like, Oh, this is where I'm supposed to grow tissue. You know what I mean? So things attach to each other in a way that they're not supposed to. And that can cause something called adhesions, which are these bands of scar tissue that can stretch in different directions and cause a lot of pain. So it's very, very common with major surgery. And that's, that's my, I would say my biggest issue today, five years post-op is still pain. I'm constantly in pain. And I, I'm lucky that I have a really good pain management team that helps me be able to function normally and medicate properly to live a normal life and not have to like be bedridden in pain all day, which is not good for me because my scar tissue, like if I lay down, my scar tissue will stretch one way. And I'm like, okay, that's painful. I'll lay on my back. My scar tissue stretches another way. Okay, that's painful. Lay on the other side. So I'm constantly like flipping over throughout the night to adjust for the pain stretching me different direction. Wow. So that's that's what I'm I'm dealing with now, but I'm doing okay. Overall. Okay, with with all of like this kind of sad doom and gloom of the pain <laughs> and like organ removal, do you have any silver linings with type C type 3C? I think my biggest silver lining is that I'm alive is that I diabetes is a diagnosis that nobody wants. Nobody wants diabetes, but I did. I, I was faced with a decision of suffering with pancreatitis for who knows how long years, if I would have chosen to go that way, or I could try to make it better and move forward in a different, in a more positive direction with diabetes. So I had, I had the choice. So I was like, I can have diabetes or I can have pancreatitis. And so every day I kind of, not every day, but I'm reminded a lot that like if I'm ever struggling with a a bad diabetes day, I'm like, I it could be way worse. I could be in the hospital. I was in the when I had pancreatitis, I was in the hospital every few weeks, and I would not leave for at least a week to four weeks. And I haven't been in the hospital. I've been in the hospital one time since my surgery for a bowel obstruction, but you know that can happen with major surgery, and it happened one time, and I haven't been in the hospital and almost five years. So I am like, I am happy with the diabetes because it's, it's the, the worse or, or the better of two evils, yeah. I guess I would say. How do you manage the diabetes part? Like MDI, mm -hmm. insulin pump? How does that all work? I use, I use an insulin pump. I, um, I was on MDI for probably two to three months after my surgery. They kind of wanted me to know how to do that. They were like, let's like, you know, anytime anyone's diagnosed with type one or type two or any type of diabetes, MDI is usually the first way that like the first treatment line. It's not usually, okay, let's just immediately put you on an insulin pump because you need to know how much insulin you need. You need to know how it works in your body. You need to know if you're taking the right insulin. So I adjusted really well to the MDI and about two, three months later, I uh, was able to get the Omnipod. I've been on the regular Omnipod, like the, the horizon, I don't know, the horizon or whatever the first Omnipod is that's now like three generations behind because they just came out with a new one. And then there was the Dash and I'm on the oldest one, but I like it. <laughs> and I've been on that ever since. And they also have a Dexcom, which lifesaver for everyone, which has been 
I got the Dexcom probably a month into my diabetes journey. And I was like, this is a game changer. Like I cannot imagine life without this. And I'm so lucky to be able to have access to it because it makes things, I'm a a very like data driven person where I see all the data lined up. I'm like, all right, I know what I need to fix. And um, I've been fortunate that it's, it's really helped along the way. I was one of those people who just did not want to get the CGM because I didn't want to rotate two different Mm -hmm. sites. And then I got it. I'm like, I should have gotten this way, way, way earlier. (laughs) Yeah. I have a friend that that doesn't want to go on a pump and I keep telling him, I'm like, I completely understand, but just try it. Like if you try it, you might love it. And if you don't like it, you can go back to MDI, but you never know until you try it. It could be a game changer for you. But if, you know, if you know you don't want it, I, I have no room to to judge anyone for how they want to manage. And if they're managing well, then good for them, you know? That's why I'm a big advocate of people being able to access the type of technology that works for them Agreed. instead of insurance companies being like, we have this financial arrangement with company A, we need you to use their insulin pump so that we can make more money. And we're like, no, that's when I first decided on an insulin pump, they were kind of pushing me towards Medtronic because I think they had some sort of financial deal with them. They were kind of like pushing that as like, oh, this is the newest and greatest. And I was like, but the Omnipod doesn't have a tube. So yeah. I'm going to go with the that one, one we see the most often being pushed is the Medtronic. Yeah. And that's kind of what I experienced as well. But I, w- I did my own research. I looked up all the pumps. I read reviews on all the pumps. And I was like, Medtronic does not have good reviews. I mean, if, if people are having su- success with them, I, I love that for them. But I did not read a lot of good, good reviews on that. I will say their early pumps were like indestructible. Yeah, but they, that. that did not translate to the new versions that yeah. have the integration with their sensor. Yeah. Yeah, the sensor is another, a whole other thing that you can't use a Dexcom with it. But they, they had like the kind of at the time, like five years ago, the Medtronic being able to communicate with the, its own sensor was a big deal. And no other pump was doing that. And so that's, they were kind of trying to push me on that. Like, oh, if you do this, but I'm like, it's coming for other pumps. Like, I know it's coming. They kind of told me it would be sooner. Like Omnipod's like, oh, our new pump's coming out next year. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Your loop system, whatever, will be your closed loop will be out that soon. Uh, five years later, it's just not coming out. And they they were literally like, oh, it'll be it'll be a couple years in the closed loop. And, and like not even to mention that Medtronic's sensor five years ago was the harpoon. Yes. So it's painful. I mean, that's how the Dexcom the Dexcom at the time was the G4, and it was the one that you had to like plunge into. Oh yeah, that's the one I started started on. And yeah, that one was that one was not fun. It's come it a not, long way. I mean, it, oh yeah, it has come a long way. It, it wasn't that bad for me though. I just kind of no, I was fine with got it. Used but to it. When yeah. I went on the G6, I was like, oh my gosh, that was painless. Yep, absolutely painless. And it used to be like I used to have to be like, okay, one, two, three, and then have to do it. But now it's just I push it without even a second thought. Yep. Okay. Talking a little bit more about the five years of like this constant pain and having this having to recover from major surgery. And dealing with now having diabetes, even if it was your chosen path for this, how do you take care of your mental health through this whole thing? I try to just know that it's always going to be fine. And I know that seems like a 
a pretty broad thing to say. Whenever I'm having any sort of bad pain day, bad diabetes day, I, I just have to remind myself that it always does get better. Like even if it's a bad day, like tomorrow might be better. It might not be, but the next day it could be better because it in the past, any issue that I've run into, I've always been able to overcome it. And I, I do value my mental health a lot. And I, you know, I've been on different antidepressants throughout the years, anti-anxiety throughout the years. And I've always kind of made sure that that was taken care of throughout this journey. And my doctors have too. I've, I've talked to a couple of therapists and psychiatrists along the way. And personally, that wasn't the, the path that worked for me. I think that when it comes to your mental health, everybody, like not everybody's going to benefit from therapy. And I wasn't one of those people that I could just talk to someone because my problems weren't problems that I could really talk through. They were tangible medical problems that were causing my mental stress. So I'm like, I cannot talk through this when it's something that I'm waiting on my body to do, whether it's I'm waiting for a medication to work or I'm waiting just to recover from surgery with time. If I went and talked about it, I was like, okay, nothing, nothing will ever come of this other than a vent session. And I could do that with anybody really. So I, it, it wasn't the, the right path for me, but I still have always made a priority to uh, make sure that I was doing okay mentally and relying on friends and family when I needed to. And I think that finding a community of people that I could relate to and finding my friends who have also had total pancreatectomies, who also have type 3 C diabetes, you know, we can talk, we have a group chat, we can talk to each other and say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. And every, everyone will respond. I've, I've gone through the same thing and it's going to be okay. Or I've gone through this and this is what happened. So it's, we're all in a, the unique position that we're the only ones that can relate to what we've been through. You know, with, let's just say type one diabetes, there's millions of people that can relate and millions of people that have gone through the same exact thing. When I know 20 people that can, that might be able to relate to me, but those 20 people have been instrumental in making sure that each other is okay with how they're doing. I mean, that just highlights the importance of having a community of people who understand what you're going through. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I, I have kind of started my space on online and my presence online is I saw a need for it. I joined Instagram and I started following some different type one creators and that grew to following tons of, tons of people with diabetes. And I was like, I need to, I need to post about my experience because I don't see anyone else posting about anything similar. So I started posting about type three C and, you know, gained some traction in the community with, you know, different people sharing my, my posts and going on different podcasts going. I wrote an article for Beyond Type 1, which I, was a really big deal for for myself and for the community to be featured in such a, a large publication, a large organization to recognize our type of diabetes was a big deal. And I met so many people throughout that experience that would send me a message and say, hey, I read your article. I also had a pancreatectomy or I'm about to have a pancreatectomy. I have questions. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to get those messages and to 
to be there for people when they're going through this and to be that, that resource that I wish that I had at the time. I'm sure those people are very uh, like thankful for whatever response so. that you give them. I, I, I will always, I, if you DM me, I will always, if I see, I hope I always see them. I will always respond. I care so much about being able to be there for people who have questions if they, you know, are in a similar situation or they're just looking to learn more. I have had people that are just like, I've never heard of this type of diabetes and I just want to learn more. Like, could you point me in the direction of some literature or can we talk on the phone? You know, I've, I've had things like that too, where people just want to learn. And I, I enjoy being there for that. I mean, that's pretty much how I found you is we had a mutual Instagram Mm -hmm. friend or follower or whatever, who messaged me asking if we could talk about type 3C. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Can yeah. you come on my podcast? And she's like, I don't do podcasts. Talk yeah, to Jen. She was like, she's like, talk to Jen. She's she's the face. And I like being that face. I And I, I hope I've inspired other people to grow their own platforms and, and to speak up more about it. And I I don't like to like be like, oh, I, I'm the reason. I'm not. But I like to... I hope that it will it will come to a time when... Type 3C is just, okay, type 1, type 2, Modi, Lada, type 3C. And it's just like everybody knows that those are the types. And there are more, obviously, but type 3C is one of them. Do you have an interesting memory about life with type 3C? An interesting memory. It's all been pretty interesting. I'll say something interesting that I haven't said yet. And it's it's been one of my biggest hurdles with, with type 3C as well is, you know, without having a pancreas... I don't have anything, you know, I don't have alpha cells. I don't have glucagon. I don't have insulin producing cells. I have nothing. So my body just doesn't really know, know what's happening at any time. Like I, I, I have a lot, a lot of insulin resistance and that's, it's, it, I've, I've come to find that it's common with type three C. I've talked to some people that have it and um, I personally have to take a medication that is aimed for type two diabetics. It's Ozempic, which is a GLP one medication, which is a, is a, a line of treatment for a lot of type twos. Some type ones take it. It's not FDA approved for type one, but they can't take it. And it does help with insulin resistance. And I, I've been in the fortunate position that my diabetes has never gotten out of control. I, when I was diagnosed, I was getting my pancreas removed. So my A1C at diagnosis was five, maybe like it was a healthy A1C for someone without diabetes. And, um, I, my A1C kind of was, it was in the fives, maybe low sixes beginning of, of the journey. And it started to creep up a little bit and I started needing more and more and more insulin. And I was getting to the point where I was giving insulin and it was like water. It would do nothing. I would give like unit after unit after unit after unit, just trying to get my blood sugar down and it would not come down. And I brought it up to my doctor and she brought up insulin resistance. And she said, let's put you on one of these medications and just see what happens. And I was noticing I was gaining weight, which is another, another factor in insulin resistance. And I started on Victoza, which is in the same class of medicine as Ozempic, but it's, 
it was a situation with like we talked about earlier, insurance didn't want me like I switched insurances and they're like, okay, we don't cover Victoza. So you have to take Ozempic. And I was like, that's great because I've been taking Victoza for a year and it works. So now you're telling me that I have to start a whole other medication that I don't know if it works for me. So that, that was great. But once I started Victoza, everything started to get better. And so I rely on this other medication as well to keep my blood sugar stable. And I was going to say like, you know, my A1Cs always stayed pretty controlled, but the highest, this is going to sound so like the highest it ever got was 6.9, but I'm not trying to say that like, cause 6.9 is an excellent A1C and anyone that has a 6.9, I'm so proud of you. In my case, that was, that was high for me because I was used to low sixes, high fives, that sort of range. It was the insulin resistance that was kind of pushing me the other direction. And it was able to kind of bring me back to my normal level or my normal range for what works for me. And I, I'm at, to a point where I'm stable with that too. And everything's been going well with, with that medication, with the insulin resistance. But there are times when I give so much insulin and it doesn't work. And it's, I'm like, okay, cool. Today's going to be one of those insulin resistant days. Or there are days when the tiniest bit of insulin will, will affect me. So it's never the same day twice. And that's, that's, I would say pretty common for any diabetic. It's like what I say is we have to uh, treat diabetes like insanity, do the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over again, expect different results. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. All right. Do you have a book recommendation for our listeners? I'm not a big book gal. I have pretty bad ADHD and it, I can't really focus that long on, on one thing. I can't even watch a TV show without like getting distracted. So books aren't my personal cup of tea, but I will say the book that my mother read when I was first diagnosed, because if you think about it, when I was first diagnosed, I was recovering from major surgery. So I was a little out of it for a while. Like I was in the hospital for a month. I don't remember much of it at all. It's like a a PTSD thing. Like my brain just blocked it out. Don't I, I remember little bits and pieces here and there, but it's, it was a time of my life where people will bring up things that I did or like, Oh, do you remember when we did this? I'm like, no, I don't. It's, it's gone, which is so weird that the brain can do that. But uh, my mom was a big part of my recovery and helping me through that and helping me transition from the hospital to home and know how to treat my diabetes at home because they did teach me how to do it at the hospital. I was heavily medicated at the time and not doing so great. And they were trying to get me to be able to go home and I was able to go home, but I, you know, they will send you home and you're still not like a hundred percent at that point. So my mom had to learn at, at the same time as me. And I was also, I mean, not fortunate, but my my grandma had type two diabetes and my mom was a caretaker for her. So my mom knew how to give insulin and how to manage blood sugars from helping my grandma. So the book that my mom read was the think like a pancreas book, which is, is a pretty popular one in the diabetes community I've found, but I I flipped through it and it does seem to have a lot of helpful information of just like how to just basic treat, diabetes. Like this is what you have to do. And I think that it'll, it's valuable for 
for people. Yeah. So uh, I actually saw Gary Shiner at a JDRF event a few years ago, and he was talking about exercise and basal rates and stuff like that. And so that's why I got his book. I still haven't read it yet. (laughs) It's on my list. So as we wrap up, could you share one actionable thing that our listeners can do this week to improve their lives with type 1 diabetes? Actionable thing that they can do. Like I said before, like whenever anyone asks me for advice with with diabetes and, and what I would recommend is just taking it day by day. And if whatever you're dealing with that day, there's no chance that you will have the same exact day twice. And, you know, approaching everything with a healthy level of optimism and not every situation. I've I've been through very, very serious times in my life where optimism wasn't, wasn't at the forefront of my mind where I was like, everything's going to be great. I'm just going to think positive thoughts this whole time. It's, it's not like that. You need to keep some level of, you know, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Like it's not right now, but thinking with the attitude, with a good attitude and knowing that that it a healthy attitude goes so far and i like making a like a really mindful approach and mindset to diabetes was instrumental for me and my mental health like i had to it was a conscious decision like i am going to approach this with optimism and with a good attitude and i'm not going to let it ever bring me down and there are times when it tries it, it tries, but I'm like, you, like, you don't have control over me. I have control over me and I, I'll deal with you tomorrow, like whatever. So I, I hope that that, that makes sense and that, that anyone else, that anyone listening can, can just try to, try to be, just try to, it, even if you have the worst attitude, if you, if you're not looking forward to moving forward diabetes, if you're like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. You can, you always can. And everything's, everything's going to be okay. So where can people find you online? My username on Instagram is Jen has diabetes, Jen spelled with one N. And I like to post different type 3C content. I post on my stories about, you know, what I go through day to day and um, different educational things that, that can help people learn about type 3C. And I'll, I'll post for, you know, different friends who have different rare types of diabetes as well. And, you know, some type one stuff type two stuff here and there too. So I like to advocate for all types and make sure that everybody has a voice in the community. So um, you can find me on Instagram. All right. We will link to your Instagram handle and to think like a pancreas in the show notes. Jen, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Colleen. This was awesome. All right. Now it is your turn. What inspiration can you take from Jen's story? Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Are you ready to feel better with type 1 diabetes without changing how you manage it? You too can go from resenting the highs and the lows to never again feeling like it's dragging your emotions behind the worst roller coaster ever. It starts with a free call. Ready to live your life without worrying about what your CGM says? Head to inspiredforward.com coaching to get started.